Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Leading Yourself podcast. I have mentioned in previous podcast episodes that I am hosting a virtual personal growth and leadership conference. Have you already grabbed your free ticket? If not, please go to the comments of this podcast episode and you'll find a link so you can grab your free ticket. But talking about the conference, when I was planning and visioning how I wanted this conference to go and who I wanted to be part of it, I made a list of what would be my dream speakers for this conference. And I stepped out of my comfort zone and started to reach to all those individuals. Some of them are friends. Um, those were the first ones to jump in, and others were strangers in the internet, people that I admire by listening to their podcasts, reading to their books, listening them speak in major stages, people that have been key in my own personal growth journey. One of the people that made it to that list was Stacy Flowers. I first get to know about Stacy when I attended the RISE conference in Toronto over a year ago. And she blew my mind. She is amazing. And I had to have her on my podcast. So she won't be able to be on the conference, but I want to share with you a conversation that I had with Stacy about happiness and habits and a lot of different things. And if you know Stacy, you're going to love this episode. If you don't know Stacy, you're going to follow her after listening to this episode because she's going to set you on fire. Um, she has an amazing tech talk about the five people that you need in your life. We talked briefly about that in our conversation, but I really invite you to go look for that TED Talk because that TED Talk alone made a huge difference in my own journey when it comes to surrounding myself with the people that are going to help me thrive. Okay, with no further ado, here is the conversation with Stacy Flowers. Enjoy. Welcome to the Leading Yourself podcast. This is your host, Carolina de Arriba. I'm an HR professional, health and fitness coach, wife, mom, and above all things, a goal getter. In this podcast, we're going to be digging into all things leadership, professional and career development, habits, and relationships. This is a podcast for those who want to become the best version of themselves, those who have big dreams and are willing to embrace the journey and put in the work to achieve them. My goal is to share with you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you in your journey. So let's dig in into today's episode. Another episode of the Leading Yourself podcast. Today, I am super honored to have Stacy Flowers in today's episode. Like I, let me tell you, Stacy, I came to know you through the Rice podcast where you were talking about financial dignity. And as I was listening to the episode, I'm like, oh my God, who is this girl? And I went directly to Google and I put Stacy Flowers. And then I found your TED Talks. 
and I found your webpage and your YouTube channel and just the energy that you bring. It's that is so amazing. You're such an optimist and you're irritating that energy that is contagious. Mm-hmm. And today, what I like to do is to give the audience a taste of the things that I <laughs> enjoy the most about Stacy Flowers. And there are three big things that really have influenced me to become a better version of myself. And I'm so thankful for that. So welcome, Stacy. I'm so honored to have you here. I am so honored to be here. I'm, I'm just, I'm really super excited to talk to you, to speak directly to your community. It is just an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting. So um, I said, I, I came to know you through a Rice podcast and then I Google it and I came across your TED Talks. Okay. You did a, t- a TED Talks a few years ago, and you talk about the five people that you should associate yourself with. Like in your pursuit of happiness, you need five people in your life. Yep. And what I would love for you to do, I know this was a 20-minute TED Talk, but <laughs> a brief summary of what are those five people that we all need in our lives, and why are those people so important? Yeah, absolutely. So the concept comes from this idea that we are the average of the five people we choose to associate with the most. I felt like that was known, that was what people had experienced, but I, I realized that people didn't know what type of person it should be or what role they should serve in their life. And so when I was examining my life and I was examining the lives of a lot of mentors and leaders and people that I studied, I found that there were these common types of people, these common types of roles. And so the five roles, and if you're listening right now, if you open up the palm of your hand, and you follow it on the palm of your hand, you'll be able to remember it. So one of the roles is a cheerleader and she's represented by your thumb and because she's rooting for you, right? So you have a thumbs up and she's the person or he's the person who's rooting for you, who believes in you when you can't believe in yourself. You know, we're, um, as human beings, we're constantly growing and evolving and becoming. And in us doing that, life comes in seasons and ebbs and flows. And sometimes there's darkness, sometimes there's light. And whether you're in a dark season or a light season, it's important to have somebody who's rooting for you in those spaces. It's important to have someone who believes in you in those spaces. Then that person is your cheerleader. Um, The next person that you need in your life is a mentor. And the mentor is represented by your index finger because they're pointing you in the right direction. And this is really important because I think people really confuse the value and the power and the role of a mentor. And you hear a lot of successful people say, oh, all you need is a mentor. It's like, A mentor is very important, but these other people are important as well because the mentor is simply pointing you in the right direction, which implies that the mentor is somewhere you want to be. And a lot of times when we select mentors, the person isn't anywhere we want to be. We just admire them. And so we're like, oh, you're a mentor, but they could serve in one of these other roles because a mentor Mm -hmm. should truly be someone who's a few paces ahead of you or far out ahead of you, pointing you in the direction that you want to go, helping you to avoid pitfalls and things like that. And then you have your coach who's represented on the index finger, or excuse me, the middle finger, which is kind of like um, double meaning, you know, because it's just like the finger that, you know, you could flip someone the bird. But the idea is that with the coach, they're designed to make you uncomfortable. They're designed to get you out of your comfort zone. They're designed to push you across your limits. They're designed to drive you forward. And so many people, we will have our cheerleader who's rooting for us. We'll have our mentor who's pointing us in the right direction. 
but nobody is stretching us. No one's um, pushing us a little further than we could go. And we want sometimes our mentor to do that or our cheerleader to do that. And that role, that's not there. That's not the purpose for that role. So the coach is really, really important because all of your success, uh, majority of your happiness is going to be on the other side of your comfort zone um, in order to be able to achieve the happiness that you deserve and desire you're going to have to be willing to do things different than what you've done before which means you're going to need to be out of your comfort zone and a coach comes in handy um, whether it's a life coach a business coach a fitness coach just coaches are phenomenal um, and then on your ring finger you have your friend and this friend represents um, the friend who's most connected to your vision and it's on the ring finger because this finger I'm told there's a vein that connects to your heartstrings. So the idea is that this person is connected to the true dream that's in your heart. And while we may have hundreds of friends, a, a large group of friends, there's that one friend that you know knows your deepest desires. Like they're just connected to what you're truly dreaming about and you need that person in your life to continue to share and commiserate with. Um, and then on the pinky finger, this represents your peer. And the peer is the person, they're not quite a friend, but they are someone that you spend a lot of time with or you engage with a lot because you guys are in the, a similar industry or you're, you have a similar interest. And because you're in a similar industry or you have a similar interest, this is actually the person that when you're complaining or when you're in the trenches or when it's difficult, this is the person who supports you the best in that. Like sometimes we think it's our friend, but our friends don't always get it because they, they don't know what it's like to be a professional speaker, for example, or our coach, you can't always go to your coach because then they're going to be like, do more sit-ups, you know, that's the problem. Or you can't go to a mentor because they're going to be like, oh, you know, just keep it. Like you need to go to the person who's right there with you where you are to just talk about, well, these are the challenges and this is what I'm going through, that place to be able to vent and repair with someone who gets it. And this is a role that's often um, just, um, people don't understand the value of it. You don't understand the value of, for lack of a better expression, complaining to the right person because there are wrong people to complain to and there are right people and peers are the right people to complain to because they get it. They won't let you stay there and they won't drive you like a coach but they will give you that space to just be. And out of you being, then you'll be able to become whatever it is you're trying to become so that you can experience that happiness that you deserve and desire. So those are the five people in a nutshell. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Like when I listen to that TED talk, I start thinking in myself and when I heard, you know, the names of the five people, I'm like, oh yeah, I have these five in my life. Mm -hmm. And as I heard you explaining them, I'm like, well, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was confusing the mentor with the coach and right. the peer with a friend and mm -hmm. they serve a completely different role. Yes. And do you think that sometimes the same person can play different roles? Yes. That's like the number one question that I get. And what I encourage people to do is to try not to have one person do multiple roles because much like in our regular life, like we're already doing multiple roles, right? Like I'm a mom, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend. And then if on top of that, I'm serving two critical roles to one specific person, that puts a lot of pressure on me to have to always show up and be there for that person, which means that it's going to be a little, a lot more challenging for me to actually be there in the moment when I need them. So what I encourage people to do is to make it five distinct people so that that way you, you truly are getting and you truly are drawing from a full well every time you need to go and get something from that person as it relates to their role. And one of the ways that I encourage um, people to do that is to think about evaluating these five roles every, every year or every five years. 
And when you sit down to evaluate it, asking yourself, okay, well, maybe this year my husband served as an incredible cheerleader, but you know, now that the business is off the ground and so on and so forth, he's not necessarily doing the cheerleading role because he's moving just back into the husband role. And I have this other person this year who's going to move into that role. Or, you know, maybe there was someone who was mentoring me and they're starting to move more into coaching just because of where I'm at now in my career. Well, then I would go and find a different mentor and then allow them to be in that coaching role. So then that way I'm getting very specific needs met. I'm getting very clear mm-hmm. guidance and I'm not confusing myself as confusing myself or taxing the people in my life too much as it relates to yeah. the role that they have. Incredible. Yeah, I feel that sometimes even if you have a big life event, it's a good opportunity to reassess those because those people that were serving as great in their role, Mm -hmm. now that you're in a different place in your life, might not be the right person anymore to serve on that role. And maybe Mm -hmm. they can serve on a different role or you need a completely different person to Mm -hmm. add to those five. And I think with social media and with the access that we have to so many people, Um, two roles that I encourage people to kind of think outside the box on are your mentor role and your peer role. Um, Traditionally, these are people that you meet with in person, you have coffee, you you know, you see them in person, but often the person who's mentoring you isn't somebody that you get to talk to every day. But if that person is putting enough content out online for you to consume so that you're being pointed in the right direction, you are essentially being cyber mentored. So let that person be your mentor. And the same thing as it relates to peers, like, you might not be able to find a peer in your hometown or a peer um, in, at your office, but when you're online, you are in a blog community or you're in a podcast community or you're in some sort of community where all the women or all the people in there, you guys are all chewing on this particular topic. You can find a peer in that space as well. So I encourage you to use your social media and your digital relationships as a as a viable place to feel these five different roles because it doesn't have to just be the people that you get to see in person you get to work with in person it's like no in real life or um, digitally people can fill these roles for you and serve you as you're reaching for the success and happiness that you really want yeah Mm -hmm. I do consider you a mentor when it comes to happiness like listening to this particular TED talk to your podcast, to your YouTube videos. Um, Definitely, you are an inspiration and a role model. I I have to say that, I mean, you are clearly, you can tell you are an optimist. And I know you (laughs) define yourself as an optimist. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned before, your energy and your happiness is contagious. But I know that your life hasn't been always easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in hard times, you've been able to find this power to... Mm -hmm both repair both let's say physically and mentally after major setbacks that you had in your life and mm-hmm. when I think about you as a mentor or as a role model I will use the word the word role model one of the things that I'm trying to become better at is storytelling and mm-hmm. oh my god you are <laughs> an amazing storyteller like thank you I start hearing to your stories and it can be an hour and I'm like, where did the time went? Because you're so absorbed uh, on those stories. And maybe, (laughs) you know, I I want people to, I think that once I ask this question, people will know exactly what I'm talking about. So I mentioned you had major setbacks in your life and still you found that power. Can you share a little bit of what have been some of those setbacks and how you find that power to 
be happy in the middle of these big storms that have happened in your life. Yeah. Um, So I think that when I think of like the major, just like over the course of my full life, like the the major sort of setbacks are moments. um, I want to be clear because I think that sometimes people think that like I'm happy through the whole thing. It's like, no, when I'm in pain, I'm in like full blown pain. But because I'm an optimist, the way that the, the pain serves me, like I look at pain as permission to ask for help. So anytime I'm in pain, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of pain. I must need some help there that I'm not aware of. And I think that that's a very optimistic thing to do. Whereas when I think about a pessimist or a realist or someone who has a different worldview that things aren't like tomorrow isn't going to be better because that's sort of what an optimist boils down to is like tomorrow's going to be better. Um, there's possibility where people see impossibility. It's like, if I had the perspective of pessimism or realism that this is as good as it gets, that this is all that there is, my pain and the darkness and the hardship would not serve as a catalyst. But because I'm an optimist, I feel like there's a catalyst, there's a lesson, there's something in all of those moments. But I want to be very clear that when I'm in those moments, I'm very surrendered to those moments. I'm very, um, even if I go into it reluctantly, by the, when I realize it, I'm like, oh, something's going on. This is where I'm at. Like, I'm not going to fight this. I know tomorrow will be better, but I'm not going to try to like overcome this with simple positive thinking. It's like, no, I'm going to surrender to this pain because I get that it's giving me permission to ask for help in a different sort of a way. So with that as like my underlying foundation, I think over the course of my life, in terms of stuff that would come up, you know, I had a very tumultuous childhood. There were just great hardships. Um, I, I had a sibling die when I was younger and, you know, we went to foster care and um, then we were reconciled back with my mom and um, you know, there were just, there was just a lot of like turbulence in the family. And, um, even as it relates to like finances and stuff, we didn't have a consistent, there wasn't consistent money in the house. So we would vacillate between being poor and then having, and, you know, um, getting the pantry boxes from churches and things like that. And I think that as a kid, when you go through those like highs and lows, like you have to organize that in your mind. And I, the way I organize it in my mind is I just kind of like, like, and this is probably maybe because I'm an optimist, but I kind of was just like, oh, I'm a superhero. That's what it is. I'm a superhero. And so I'm going through challenges to make me stronger. Like literally was my rationale. Um, and so I think that sort of became a thing. And then when I would look at my mom, my mom had such peace and such grace about the way that she would go through things that I was just like, okay, there must be something that is, yes, awful about what we're going through, but also something that's going to be okay because my mom always seemed to be okay. Like my mom always seemed to be like, well, this is what's going on today, but tomorrow there, there'll be another possibility. And so, um, you know, losing my sister, foster care, those are major life events. Um, having suicidal thoughts and feelings at 14. And then again, at 23, like those were major life events, becoming a mom at 17, that was a major life event. Um, and then I think some of my more recent, like major challenges or darknesses or setbacks was like my businesses. I had two companies, they failed. At the top of 2017, I experienced nervous exhaustion. And I think that maybe because of my history of getting through hard things, I knew that I would get through the nervous exhaustion and the failure of my company and the failure in my finances. There was an inner knowing, but I think that I also sort of used that foundational thing of if I surrender to this, like I can't, like life won't let me stay here forever. That's not how life works. I had enough back and forth up and down in my childhood to know that life doesn't stay sad and terrible and dark forever. 
And then I had enough optimism to say that when it gets better, I want to have a, a little bit more power around what I'm doing. I want to have a little bit more understanding around what I'm doing and, and how I'm able to move out and make things happen. And so when I was coming out of this most recent failure, I was very much in review of all of the other dark, darker seasons. But when I was coming out of this, I was like, this particular type of pain at this age in my life is calling for a different level of help. And that level of help for me was therapy. And I, I went into therapy with the intention, like I remember telling my therapist, I was like, listen, I want to resolve this to the point where I learn how to trust myself. And I learn how to have enough and at the time I said control, but I realized it wasn't necessarily control, but I think that that was just the easiest term. But I was just like, I want to have enough control over my life to where this just can't happen out of anywhere. And so I, I sat in therapy and I talked about all of the things that hurt. I talked about the things that were confusing, the things that were overwhelming. And as we started to do that, I slowly but surely started to put different pieces of my life back together. And I realized that like me wanting to control everything, me wanting to make everything perfect, me wanting to have everything look a certain way was causing me to leak what was true. And what was true is that I couldn't have control, but I could have power. I could have enough personal power to decide who were gonna be the five people that I associated with, right? I could have enough power to look into obstacles that were coming up in my life and decide what I was going to do about them. I could have um, enough power to sit down and ask myself why I was doing what I was doing. Um, I could shift my expectations. I could focus on results. I could look at the responsibility that I had for different aspects of my life. Like when I shifted my thoughts and my ideas from wanting to control everything to allowing myself to create more power in my life, things began to shift. And as those things began to shift, it's like, this is how I lifted myself out. And I think the optimism was sort of the power source. It's like, so long as you can believe that it's going to get better tomorrow or in the next minute, that's going to constantly be creating a stirring up a fire that says, look for something different, look for something better, ask for that help that is needed in this particular moment. I hope that that answers your question. I feel like I rambled there a bit, but... <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, as I said, I've, I've listened to a lot of your stories and I'm like, oh my God, like that. I mean, sometimes we all feel we go through hard things. And when I listen to your stories, I, I felt a level of gratitude for the privilege that I've had in my life because I mm -hmm. haven't gone through some of the things that you mentioned, uh, but the way that you manage them, right? I always say that it's not about the situation, it's about how we react to the situation that, you know, provokes that pain or that suffering mm -hmm. or even failure, right? It's, it's not about failure itself, it's about how we deal with failure that constitute the actual failure. Yes. Um, and mm -hmm. as long as you get back up and you keep trying, there mm -hmm. is always, you know, there's always a better tomorrow ahead yes. mm -hmm. uh, and nothing is forever, right? And I think right. that's something that I heard a lot, especially now these days with COVID mm -hmm. and with social unrest and with mm -hmm. all these things. Yeah. And talking about all these things, um, I know that you, like me, also practice gratitude and we do it in a slightly different way. I use a journal, I write it down. I know you do it slightly different. Can you share a little bit of what role does gratitude play in your life and how mm -hmm. do you practice gratitude? Right. Um, gratitude is a significant role in my life. It's actually the way that I start every single day. 
Um, and I, you, I still write gratitude in my journal, but when I had got sick at the top of 2017, um, it was primarily mental illness that then began to manifest itself as physical illness. And I was so like mentally just wiped out and just sometimes I, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't move my limbs. And then as that started to manifest itself as physical illness, there was significant weight gain. And then um, I remember one of my doctors wanted to diagnose me with fibromyalgia because we couldn't find the source of just how much pain I was physically in in my body. And I was just like, no, absolutely not. I am too young for that. I will not live my life um, this way. And so when I'm, as a, as a me, I had already practiced gratitude to have so many other beautiful things happen in my life, but this was the first time that I thought to apply gratitude to mental and emotional illness and then physical illness as well. And I remember I was laying in my bed and my thoughts were just so severe. Cause you know, when, when I'm depressed and I'm anxious, my thoughts are pretty severe in general, but depression and anxiety just take it to a whole nother level. And I know that you can't stop thinking about something that you're thinking about. And the only solution is to think another thought. And I also know that you can't have a grateful thought and a hateful thought at the same time. And so I remember one day, like in the thick of just severe PTSD symptoms, anxiety, all of that. I was laying in the bed and I was like trying to get up, but I was just in so much pain. Like I couldn't even like lift my arm. Like just, it was just terrible. Um, and I remember laying there and I remember thinking like, well, at least I'm, at least I'm still breathing. And then I was just like, oh, and, and there was like, there was like a little hint of like relaxation that happened when I thought that thought versus all of the other anxious um, depression sort of thoughts. And then I was just like, yeah, like I'm still breathing. And then I was just like, and I'm, I'm not laying on the floor. I'm laying on a bed. And so I'm thinking that thought. And the more I'm thinking these thoughts about what is and what I have, I'm relaxing a little bit. And I was thinking about my gratitude practice that I used to write where I would write, I'm so happy and grateful for finish the sentence. And so then I thought the thought, like, I'm so happy and grateful. I'm still breathing. I'm so happy and grateful. I can see I'm so happy. And I'm laying in the bed thinking these and like something is kind of like overcoming me, just this idea that like, as I'm thinking this, these other awful thoughts are not there. So then I start to say it out loud because I know the power of like speaking things. So then I'm like, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm breathing. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm thinking. I'm so happy and grateful I can speak. I'm so happy and grateful for my voice and I'm saying all that. And the more I'm saying it, I can feel the tension in my body like fading away. Like it's just, I'm getting more and more relaxed and that that was the first day that I sort of said it out loud while I was laying down. And then the next day I got up, I did the same thing until I could actually physically get up and like move, like, like move my body enough to like get up without pain. And then I would, there was a hallway in my apartment and I would walk from one end of my hallway to the other end of my hallway because I was super anxious and really afraid to go outside because of the PTSD. And I would just walk down the hallway and I would just, and I'm like, I'm going to try to make it to my kitchen. I just like, I'm so happy and grateful I can walk. I'm so happy and grateful that I can breathe. I'm so happy and grateful I have legs. Like I would just go through my whole body saying it because me saying it like energetically just shifted the amount of tension and pain that I had in my body. And so that walking up and down my hallway eventually turned into me being able to go outside. When I was finally able to go outside and not have a whole meltdown or a panic attack, I was like outside for like an hour to two hours, just I'm so happy and grateful like I'm outside. I'm so happy and grateful I have lungs. I'm so happy and grateful I have a liver. And it was just like, when you're so mentally sick in the way that I was, there's so many things that you can't do, right? I couldn't go to work. I couldn't fast forward any of the deep stuff that we were talking about in therapy. I barely could stay on the phone. I barely could stay awake. I couldn't, 
I just, I, there was so much that I couldn't do. And the one thing that I knew that I could do to contribute to my mental and emotional and physical health and well-being was to express gratitude and to express gratitude while moving my body. And I, I think that that practice of me, like using my own personal, like wherewithal, my own personal power to say, listen, I may not be able to do what my therapist can do. I may not be able to go to work, but I can figure out what is working in my life and express some appreciation and gratitude around that, knowing that it's going to have a healing effect. Because again, with the doctors wanting me to take medication and wanting, you know, wanting to give me, what is it? Um, I think it's like cortisone shots or something like that to block the amount of pain that I was having in my body. The fact that that is where they were with what they thought would help me to alleviate the pain in my body and me just speaking gratitude gave me the love, that same level of relief. I was like, holy smokes. For the rest of my life, I will remember to be so happy and grateful out loud with words while moving my body because it does work. Like it, there's something about hearing yourself say it. There's something about your brain catching the words in your ears, processing it that gets down in there because had I not started that practice, I would be this very young woman dealing with this very serious condition that would cause me to be in pain for the rest of my life. And I just, I just didn't want that. So my gratitude practice was built out of that. And now somewhere around like um, about 30 to 40 minutes, I'll do in the morning, first thing when I wake up. So sometime between like 4.30 and six o'clock, I'll just go outside and I'll walk and I'll just express gratitude for all that I have and all that's coming. And that was a thing too, that it sort of evolved to is in the beginning, I had to be very clear about like, I have a liver, I have a back, I have, you know, um, but it's progressed to me also calling things into my life that I want by expressing gratitude for them in advance. And that's been a really, really powerful thing as well. So, yeah, yeah definitely powerful. Gratitude. It's yeah. amazing that the power of, of gratitude is that such a simple practice. It doesn't take a yeah. lot of time and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And people, I think because it's so simple, people don't want to believe that it works, but hear me, mm -hmm. hear me. If you want to take anything away from today's podcast, like take away a gratitude practice and just for 30 days, either write a few things that you're gra grateful for or get up and go outside and walk and say a few statements of I'm so happy and grateful for insert a few things. If you do that for 30 days, it will transform your life. Because again, you can't have a grateful thought and a hateful thought at the same time. And some of us don't know that we're waking up with hateful thoughts whether they're hateful thoughts about ourselves hateful thoughts about other people about the job that we have we don't know that we're waking up with incredibly unuseful i don't know that's a word <laughs> we're, uh, we're thoughts that are not useful we're waking up with thoughts that are not useful and a grateful thought is a useful thought it gives you a point of clarity it gives you a sense of direction it gives you a uh, a position you know it positions your heart for appreciation if you start your day with that the chances of you having a day that feels out of control the chances of you having a day that feels terrible it's it you it's it's like scientifically it's not something that can happen when you actually intend to change your state this is the reason why yeah. so many successful or happy people or great people or people who are at an iconic level talk about that practice because it literally is that powerful because our brains and our words and our thinking and our thoughts they're everything and if you decide what thoughts you're going to have every day by doing this practice it will completely change your life yeah absolutely i can't agree more you know 
now with everything going on around us with COVID-19, with the social unrest, Black Lives Matter, all these things, like I was talking to someone the other day and I said, if we all just in, start incorporating gratitude in our lives, like that would change our perspectives, like 360 yep. degrees. Yep. And we would not be where we are today. Mm -hmm. Like the, the conversation we will be having where we will be so much different and people will be so more positive about what is going on and contribute differently because it changed your state of mind and therefore how you behave, how mm -hmm. you act, how you talk to others, how mindful you are of just what's going on around you. Like I feel exactly. that in today's world, we have so much distractions that we don't, we're not paying attention to the really important things. And for me, practicing gratitude has just allowed me to be more mindful and more present on the things that really matter. Yep. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So gratitude is a great habit and mm -hmm. I am, I'm so keen on habits. Like habits is a yeah. big thing in my life. Okay. And I want to ask you, besides gratitude, what are some other habits that you have incorporated in your life that have made a big impact in in, in your overall life? Mm -hmm. I would say next to gratitude, the other habit that I have as it relates to work is that like I work when I'm at work and then when I'm not at work, I don't work. And I know that that seems like another simple practice, but most people don't work when they're at work. Most people, when they go to work, they huff, they think about all the stuff that they're supposed to be doing at home. They get on social media. They do everything else besides work when they're at work. And so then when they go home, they end up having to work to make up for the work that they didn't do. So like my number one habit is like when I'm at work, when I'm in my office, nook, it is work, period. I don't chatter on the phone. I don't social media. I work when I'm at work. So that habit, and then my next habit after that is when I'm not at work, I don't work. Also, I rest. Rest is, I'm, and rest might even be a little bit above my work habit, but I rest very, very well. I've learned that rest is like critical. One of the things that I say is like rest is a complete spiritual practice because I think on the spiritual side, we're like, oh, let me meditate. Let me pray. Let me serve. Let me do all these things. It's like, no, listen, rest is a whole practice in and of itself human beings i think we used to know how to do it but now since social media since since technology is always on or the internet is always on we feel like we always have to be on and so it actually takes work for people to rest now but i have a, a phenomenal rest habit and so my rest practice is actually seven by seven by seven by seven so every seven days i take a day off every seven weeks i take a week off every seven months i take a month off and then on the seventh year of this practice i'll take the full year off and that is a habit that like it can't be broken and like if i if i miss it it's super funny because my assistant all of my rest weeks are on my calendar and so sometimes i'll be like oh just go ahead and schedule it and she's just like no because if i miss my rest week it it's like i'm different i'm like a toddler you know how like if you have a toddler and you're like you need a nap and they're like no i want to play and they don't get their naps <laughs> like completely different human it's like that's how I am. And so the habit of resting properly and resting um, like in a routine sort of a way, stellar thing um, in terms of a habit. Another habit that I have is weekly, I check in, I, actually probably daily. I mean, daily, I probably do it like internally in my mind, but weekly um, as a part of my journal practice, I check in to make sure that I'm lining up with my values. So I'll ask myself like, how did I honor my values this week? 
um, in my journal and then I'll like write out how I honored them. Um, and that's a really good habit for me because your values determine like your life. And I think mm -hmm. so many people when they find themselves unhappy or when they find themselves powerless or when they find themselves in a state where they're like, how did I get here? If they were to examine what they value and they examine the last thing that they did in the week, they would see, oh, for a full week, I wasn't doing anything in alignment with my values. That's how I got here. And so I like to check in to make sure that I'm moving in the direction of what I value week after week mm -hmm. after week. Um, so that's another habit. And then um, I think routines in general are a really good habit. I have a nighttime routine because um, sleep hygiene is also really important with managing mental and emotional health and wellness. Like sleep hygiene, sleep is super, super important to that. Um, but I also have a morning routine. I don't, I didn't necessarily think that I had a, a, a grocery routine, <laughs> but because I've been documenting my journey on YouTube and so there's grocery hauls there, I do kind of do sort of the same um, sort of meditative ritualistic thing with my groceries as I'm putting them away. Um, but yeah, I would say those are my, and, and I read too. That's another habit that I have. So let me think. And water, can, right? And water, yes, water is a habit. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So let me try to put them in order. So there's gratitude, there's rest, there's water, there's working when I'm at work, my routines, morning and night and food. And then there is, I think there was one more. But I, oh, and aligning with my values. Those would probably be my top six or seven habits. Yeah. And water is really important because so much of our body is water. Our brain runs best on water. I know we think it runs better on coffee or Red Bull or whatever, but our brains run best on water. When people are like, how are you so productive? I'm like, I drink a lot of water. If I know that I have to, like I'm writing a book right now and I drink so much water before I even try to even type a single word because I need my brain to be like, like a well-oiled machine right. ready to go and, and give me some more. Wait a minute. I was going to ask you this because I mentioned that yeah. you are an amazing storyteller and I'm like, yeah. you would be a great writer because yeah. you are so engaging <laughs> with your stories and you just said yeah. you're writing a book. So tell me a little bit about this book. Okay. So I, I can't give away what the book is. Okay. This is what I'll tell you. All right. Whatever you can share. Okay. Yes. So I will share that. So I'm, okay. Oh man, I just got nervous. Okay. So I'm writing a book and I started writing the book in January of this year. And between January and March, I actually wrote the first draft of, which is like 65,000 words. And I wrote it quickly because I was very scared to tell the stories that I was telling in the book. And so I wrote it really, really quickly. And as me and my um, editor were sort of going through the process of like finding stories that we liked and we wanted to develop, as I was rereading it, I was like, oh, this is not honest. Not that the stories aren't true. I just didn't tell the honest version of them, if that makes sense. So it was like, I was still very much hiding myself in the story versus when I'm on the stage, I'm like, here it is, here's my story. But I found that when I was writing, I was so much more fearful. So it wasn't an honest version of the book. And so I was talking to a group of my friends and I was just like, I don't know if I can edit this book. This book isn't honest. I was like, it's true, but it's not honest. And we were having a conversation. I broke down in tears and I was just like, I'm just going to delete it and I'm just going to start over. So I deleted all of the words and just recently started all over. And it is a much 
better book already because I am, I am brutally honest in it so far. I, I hope to stay, that, <laughs> hope to stay that way. Um, and I'm telling the stories that need to be told. So kind of like how you asked the question, it's just like, you know, I talk a lot about happiness and optimism and things like that, but there were a lot of really hard things that I've experienced and lived. And how did that get, how did that convert into this, this being who I am today? So telling the stories of that are really, it's really, really quite challenging. It's a, writing is a whole other it is a, a completely different process than speaking. It's, it's still storytelling, but mm -hmm. with speaking, I'm in front of you and you can see me and I can shift the energy in the room and I can raise my eyebrow to, to add um, tension and I can speed up my words to add uh, excitement. But in writing, you have to put it all on the page. And so it calls from you from something in a different place to get to, to put all of that energy that you see in person on the page so that a reader who's not watching you can still feel it. And so I'm learning how to do that now. I'm learning how to write at that level. And um, it was really interesting because when I was talking to my friends, I'm like, I'm not a writer. I'm a speaker. I'm, I'm not. I mean, they were like, no, you're a writer. You're a writer. Like you journal all the time. And I was just like, yeah, but that's journaling. And she's just like, yeah, that's writing. And I'm like, is that writing? <laughs> she's just like, yeah. And um, to your point about like, you know, being such a good story storyteller, I think I'm in a very like fortunate position in that so many publishers want to publish the story that I'm writing. Um, I think when the first publisher reached out to me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, is that a thing? Do publishers just reach out to you? And then when I got the second and the third offer, I was like, holy smokes, you guys, I haven't, you know, I haven't written anything yet. And so when the fourth publisher was just like, hey, you know, we, I've, I've seen you speak. I hear you tell this story. Like, I want to be the person that publishes. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So there is. That adds a lot of tension and stress, right? It, because it now you need to deliver. Yes. So it's a, it's like, um, you know how they say like good stress versus bad stress. So it's mm -hmm. showing up as like, I, I like, so since four publishers have said, Hey, this has to get out. I have turned that into, there are four people who are, are four company publishing houses that are, um, industry experts about what people need to read. And they have said, based off listening to you, that they need to read whatever it is that you want to share. Like, so in the moments when you don't feel confident or in the moments when you don't feel like this, your story is enough or in the moments when you're a little bit afraid to be this honest, remember that there are four people who are industry experts who are evaluating you, who've already said you have what it takes. So don't go into imposter syndrome thinking that you don't have what it takes. Don't go into, well, what if nobody buys the book? Don't go into that because you already have like a, a, not a guarantee, but like a, you have, you, these, these are like my confidence backers. So like anytime my confidence wanes, I'm like, no, these people are industry experts. They don't do this. This is not a common practice. If they're doing it, they know something that you don't know. So your job is just to put on paper what they already know. So just, just get it out. And so I'm, I'm viewing it more as like an invitation to let this other part of me, this other voice that I have, um, express itself and it, it there is some pressure but more so than not it's just like having a group of people believe in you and like sort of cheer you on from the sidelines while you're doing something very very challenging because um, even mm -hmm. to delete what I wrote to begin to write at this level I'm like holy smokes what is this 
process that I'm going through. And, but it's, but it's a, but it's a good thing. And it's a, um, I was talking to my friends the other day. I was like, you know, writers, uh, the, the writers that I love, like their only job is to write. <laughs> That's like their, their only job. Mm -hmm. Like, but I'm also a speaker and a storyteller through speaking. And, um, you know, I do some storytelling through influencing. And so to really cultivate a writing voice, it's been a very interesting process and I'm enjoying it, even though it's hard and I'm trying to, sur to surrender to what it's going to bring out of me because I am a storyteller and I love books. And I think that it's just an honor to be able to put my stories in a book so that someone can hold my story in their hand and get that inspiration and stuff that you say that you get from hearing me on the stage. So. Yeah. I can't wait to <laughs> read to this book. And if there's an audio version, like yes. I'm getting that audio book. If you are the one reading the book. Yes, 100%. There's something about how you tell the stories. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I, I can see what you said, right? It's different when you are in stage and you have your body language and your voice and yeah. uh, versus when you're writing. So I want to get the best of both worlds. So yes. I'm definitely getting the audiobook <laughs> whenever it's out in the world. Yes, absolutely. So, I had so many questions for you and we're running out of time. Okay. Um, this is so amazing. Like I'm, I feel this is definitely going to be the first thing in my gratitude journal tomorrow um, that I had the chance to talk to you in person um, or via video call. Yeah. But so awesome. before we wrap things up, mm -hmm. um, how can people find you? Many of our listeners maybe already know about you, but if they don't, how do they find you? Um, in social media, how can they start consuming your content? Because I'm sure, like me, when I heard you the first time, as people are listening to this podcast, they're, they have their Google search <laughs> open and they're looking for you yes. to say, who is this girl? I need to follow her. So how can they find you? So I am Stacy Flowers everywhere on the internet. And it's Stacy with an E-Y and flowers spelled like a bouquet of roses. And to sort of give you a guide, if you over on my YouTube channel, you'll see me documenting my financial journey. So if that's content that you want to consume, there's over 200 videos over there where I am documenting the ins and outs of what it, what it has taken to restore my financial dignity and ultimately build a successful company that I have now. On my YouTube channel, I talk a lot about self-development and personal growth and I'm sharing things in real time of what I'm doing day to day. So you can find me there. And then I also have a podcast, the Stacey Flowers podcast, and I'm diving deeper into the mental, emotional health side of things and some self-development and personal growth there as well. And then you can always come to my website if you have a specific question. Um, me and my team are really, really good about getting responses back to people who have questions about ways that I can serve and support mm -hmm. you. So you can just always look me up on stacyflowers.com as well. I can attest to that. I mean, <laughs> your team is amazing. I just sent an email and I'm like, okay, I already have the known as an answer. So I'm going to give it a try. And it was such a easy and great process. And I, as I say, I'm so grateful. So excited that you being able to join us today. Thank you very much, Stacy, from the bottom of my heart. Um, as I said, you are a true inspiration. And I can't wait to get that book. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great, 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 great thing that you're doing here. And I'm honored to be able to speak to your community. Thank you very much. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. 
And if you did, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, or in social media. Help me spread the word. And with that, I hope that you have an amazing day. And I'll talk to you again on another episode of the Leading Yourself Podcast.